Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place, and we have quite a show for you today. By the way, if you're looking at your calendar, we are live. It is September 1st. How is that possible? Oh, my goodness. Let me get started. The buzz on the street is getting a pulse, taking a pulse, having a pulse. It has something to do with pulse. That's the hint. Let me start. The Internet of Things, that's what we're all about here on the show. It's gradually beginning to impact healthcare. Get the connection with the pulse by delivering the benefits of life-saving innovations to patients. It could be you. It could be a loved one, a colleague, a neighbor, a friend, somebody you meet on the street, patients, doctors, and nurses, their whole healthcare team. How is this happening? Well, armed with intelligent, connected breakthroughs. And we're talking about personal devices. They're actually measuring your vital signs. They're measuring your vital signs and sending that information remotely to your healthcare professionals. We now have smart hospital beds. We'll talk about that later. We have smart medication dosing and tracking, meaning the medication is a smart pill. We'll talk about that later if you're not aware of that, so that you and your healthcare professionals can address potentially fatal issues before they escalate into crises. That's right. Catch it. Nip it in the bud. What do they used to say? Stitch in time saves nine. That's what we're talking about. Where is this happening? Well, not just here in North America, in the U.S. It's happening all over the world. It's exciting. These breakthroughs are wonderful, and they could help somebody you care about, somebody you love, somebody you know, or they could help you. So I have a great panel today. I'll tell you who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming back Stephanie Huber, a manager with Deloitte Consulting, joining us as well as Guillermo B. Vasquez, another colleague of Stephanie's. He's a specialist leader and senior manager at Deloitte, and rounding out the panel, we have have. Who do we have here on our panel? Oh my goodness, we have a newcomer. We've got Gayatri Gopal, a product manager in the SAP Connected Health Group, and she's calling in from Germany. We're so happy she's with us. So let me get started introducing Stephanie Huber. Stephanie has sent me a wonderful quote from Nelson Mandela. Nelson, let me give you a little background. Nelson Rolihalala Mandela lived from 1918 to 2013. He was a South African anti-apartheid revolutionary, a politician, and a philanthropist who served as the president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999. A little bit of history. He was the country's first black head of state and the first elected in a fully representative democratic election. After the Afrikaner minority government of the National Party established apartheid. Very young people listening to us around the world may or may not be aware it was a system of racial segregation that privileged the whites in the population. Mandela was appointed president of their Transvaal branch, rising to prominence for his involvement in the 1952 anti-apartheid defiance campaign. I'll leave it go there. He spent 27 years in prison and eventually he was let go. He declined a second presidential term and became an elder statesman focused on charitable work and interesting to our conversation he was focused on combating HIV AIDS through the Nelson Mandela Foundation here's the quote Stephanie has selected it always seems impossible until it's done Stephanie Huber welcome back how have you been Stephanie how are you 
I'm well, thank you. Nice to have you on the show. So talk to me. You're a big fan of Nelson Mandela. How'd you pick this quote? Because I think it's absolutely perfect for our topic. So tell me how. Well, Nelson Mandela, as you just described, is one of the, he's a very inspirational person. And and just like how he tackled something that's never been done before, I mean, that's kind of what we do, and that's why I love working in technology. That's what brought me here. Every single day there's innovations that come out, um, things that were impossible in recent history are now doable and scaling um, to where we can see, you know, changes in everyday life, what they call the uberfication of society, how apps are changing businesses and how we interact with each other. And so anyways, that being said, I thought it was perfect for this because not only is he an amazing person that kind of tackled um, large social issues, but it seems impossible until it's done. Um, That's kind of like this topic. So, you know, the the concept of delivering managed health care, using data from uh, patients around the world that you can now access and find trends um, that seemed impossible and now we're getting there. And, in fact, there are research institutions that have that. So it seems impossible until it's done, and we're, we're doing it right now. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm glad you broadened the topic because my intro was basically focused on the devices, on the connectivity, but not on something I know you specialize in, which is the collection of data from, as you say, diverse populations all over the globe to bring together and help us figure out, help medical professionals and innovators help figure out what we need to make smarter. Am I right on that one? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Welcome back. And now let's introduce a colleague of yours from Deloitte. It's Guillermo B. Vasquez. Anybody wants to look him up, I'll spell his last name, V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. And he has sent me a quote from uh, Sunita Sony, Ph.D. And I I looked up, I searched, I searched and searched Guillermo, and I found out Sunita Sony, S-O-N-I, is a co-author of a document called Predictive Data Mining for Medical Diagnosis, specifically an overview of heart disease prediction. And uh, let me just read a quote from that. And this is the quote you selected. The healthcare environment is still information rich, but knowledge poor. And before you speak about that, just one second, Guillermo, I also found that that was the title of a blog by SAP's Vivek Bapat, Global VP of Marketing, this year, May 16, 2016. And his blog is called are we becoming information rich but knowledge poor? And it was on something very different than the healthcare. But I thought that was interesting that he used that in a title of a blog. So the the uh, quote we're talking about is the healthcare environment is still quote unquote information rich but quote unquote knowledge poor. Guillermo, welcome. How are you today? Very good, Bonnie. How are you? And thank you for having me here in your oh, program. Oh, we're. Delighted to have you talk to me. This is a very provocative quote, and it goes back to what I was discussing with Stephanie Huber just a moment ago, information rich, knowledge poor. So as we connect, as we bring data in, as we think what do we need, as we conquer the impossible, as Nelson Mandela said, make it happen, knowledge poor. So what's your interpretation of this related to healthcare, Guillermo? Yeah, well, uh, something that I found interesting when I started to work with my uh, healthcare clients is that it's exactly the opposite in the industry, right? In the industry, you have all data available. Uh, It's not a problem to get uh, the data that you need, but the problem is to turn that data into knowledge. 
So I found interesting, very interesting, and I follow Dr. Sunita in their research. She's one of my favorite computer scientist researchers. I, she has published uh, some quite interesting uh, papers around healthcare and big data. So I followed her a lot, but. Uh, that was my my first uh, surprise when I started to work with healthcare with the healthcare uh, industry because normally, Bonnie, what happens is when you are doing formal academic research or you are creating uh, very sophisticated decisions tools for business, what you find is that in order to test the tools or in order to uh, make sense of your research, you need to have very good data, and that's where you struggle and expend the most of the time. But in the healthcare industry, it's totally the opposite. You have all the data available, maybe you need to work a little bit on that for quality purposes, but after that is the easy part in other industries that turn very, very hard in the healthcare industry. Turn it, that into knowledge. Thank you very much, and I'm, I'm very glad to be introduced to Sunita Sony. Uh, she is part of the, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Guillermo, the, the BHILI, B-H-I-L-I, LAI Institute of Technology in India, which interestingly enough, they call it BIT, is the first self-financed engineering college in central India, established in 1986 with four undergraduate courses in engineering, giving the degree of a Bachelor of Engineering, and it takes 180 students. It grew from 180 originally in 1986 to 780, and it now offers undergrad courses in seven disciplines, as well as postgraduate degrees, including a Master of Computer computer application and master of business administration. It's one of the premier, most premier institutions in central India and ranks among the top 50 engineering institutions in that country. Did you know that, Guillermo? Very interesting. Uh, I know. Uh, I didn't knew that level of detail. I, I was just following uh, Dr. Sunita, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I think they're doing great things, as you said, all around the world, uh, in India, in the Middle East. Of course, uh, we are at the uh, cut edge in uh, our Silicon Valley communities, right, in California, uh, Stanford, MIT, and so on, in the Northeast. But, yeah, is this phenomenon of the IoT-connected uh, healthcare industry is worldwide and it's happening fast, really, really fast. Thank you very much, Guillermo. Pleasure to meet you and thank you for your insights. And now let's round out the panel with Gayatri Gopal, product manager in the SAP Connected Health Group. And she has sent us a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who lived from 1803 to 1882. He was actually known as Waldo Emerson. I wasn't aware of that because I always know him from those three names. He was an American essayist, lecturer, and poet who led the transcendentalist movement of the mid-19th century. He was seen as a champion of individualism and a prescient critic of the countervailing pressures of society. And let me just read one little more piece about him, Gayatri. He remains among the linchpins of the American Romantic movement, and Emerson's work has influenced the thinkers, writers, and poets who followed him. What, When asked to sum up his work, Ralph Waldo Emerson said his central theme was the infinitude of the private man. His main collections are Essays First Series and Essays Second Series. And I'll just leave it at that. Here is the quote Giatri has picked. To be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. There we go with the individualism. Giatri, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing good, Bonnie. Thank you for having me here and, and, and hope all is well at your end. 
Everything is great. Thank you. It's raining here in New York just a little bit, but it's sunny here in my radio station office because I'm talking to you and Stephanie and Guillermo. So there, how's that for an individualistic approach? So tell me something. Are you a big, a, a big fan and follower of Mr. Emerson? And how did you pick this quote? Let's relate this quote, Gayatri, to our topic of connected healthcare today. Yeah. So, um, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. So, if you if you if you look at some of his poetry, so he draws a lot of inspiration from Eastern philosophy, and that includes the religion that I follow, which is Hinduism. So, like you already mentioned, he focuses on the power of the individual, the divine spirit that dwells within us, and the under undying omnipresent soul. Right, and and through a lot of his literary works, he's provided um, the world with several inspirational quotes, and and another one that. I really like is we always um, getting ready to live, but never truly living. And, um, and 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 if you think about it, all of us at one point or another in our lives have felt the need or have been forced to fit into what society deems as as the most appropriate path to follow, uh, whether it's education or the kind of job or, or you know the uh, lifestyle we want to leave. We have you know we sort of part of the proverbial rat race, or you have to go through this mechanical grind day in and day out, and you're never really true. Uh, you're never really being true to yourself, and 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 what I find interesting is that this is also true for every aspect of healthcare. Um, where for the longest time, you know, the notion of one size fits all was the standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, if you see with um, all the groundbreaking research in genomics and, and um, this technology innovation in IoT and sensors, the, we can now amass a staggering amount of big data about ourselves about what we do and then and really as like uh, to to connect to, connected to what Guillermo said uh, you know look at uh, turning data into insights and knowledge to really understand what constitutes an individual what makes me me and you you and this is the foundation for personalized medicine Thank you very much. Very, very well put. Yes, personalized medicine. That's something else I didn't mention at the beginning. When you're able to take the data, as Stephanie said, and pull it all together and bring it into maybe a database, maybe just a collection of facts, and I know genomics come into this as well, and start to look at how to treat the individual we are doing exactly what Emerson would have loved. He would have been very happy about this, wouldn't he, Gayatri? I think so, too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. So let's circle back to Stephanie Huber. Stephanie, it's time for a little personal information. Oh, nothing too personal. You know that. You've been on the show before. We'd love to know where you're calling from today. It's September 1st, as I said. Where are you calling from? What time is it? And what are you drinking right now? Or what are you planning to drink later? This is our What's in Your Cup Today segment. Stephanie. Hi. Um, so I'm actually in beautiful Salt Lake City. It's gorgeous here. Um, and it's really bright and sunny, so not raining here. Um, and the drink that I have is not a normal drink of mine. Um, I kind of I had a super – I've been managing a team overseas, and they have a totally different time schedule. So taking these early morning calls, I have a sugar-free Red Bull. And normally my Whoa. drink of choice is a <laughs> chai latte, an iced chai latte, but – I've got the the high octane uh, caffeinated beverage today. Wow! Wow! A red, red. Oh my goodness! Okay. Well, that's new for you. I haven't heard that one before. Thank you very much. What do you like about it? Does it give you a jolt? Does it uh, just make you happy? Does it just make you feel like, well, I've had my five cups of coffee and one glass of this stuff? How does it work? 
Well, I like that it's sugar-free. I know I, I'm getting on, I'm kind of on a health kick now. Um, but with regard to the flavor, it's kind of, it's just like a soft drink. And I know soft drinks are bad and we should avoid them. But it's kind of like a little treat. I like the carbonation. And yes, you're right. It's definitely that five cups of coffee in one. So that kind of helps. Uh, Thursdays are travel days for me too. So yeah, this will last me all day. <laughs> I'm glad. I just made that up. I was just guessing. I no, but know. you're right, though. Oh, my goodness. Okay, thank you very much for that honest comment. I appreciate that. And Guillermo B. Vasquez, where are you calling from? And what's in your cup today, Guillermo? Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, so today I, I am uh, working with one of my clients. I am in uh, the Midwest of, of the U.S. in Indiana right now. And I am... Uh, taking a regular uh, cappuccino from Starbucks. And um, a funny story around that is that, you know, I became fan of Starbucks because um, my family, my wife and my daughter, loves, loves Starbucks, of course. And, you know, every time that I need to uh, negotiate something with them or <laughs> bring them to a place that they don't want, it's like I always come with the, oh, by the way, uh, do you know that we are going to go very close to Starbucks? We can stop by, and they immediately they're on or immediately agree. So it's it's very funny. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Guillermo. Good to get to know you. And Gayatri Gopal, I know you're calling from Germany. I just don't know where. What time is it? And what are you drinking to energize you today? Okay, so actually low on energy because uh, it's about 4.19 uh, now, so I've gone through three rounds of coffee, uh, almost the workday is almost coming to an end, but um, what I typically do is I, I, once I head back home, I have uh, I make myself a nice cup of chai, Indian chai, and um, so that's either it's a Darjeeling variety or an uh, Assam one because they're really aromatic and we like to add milk and, 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 and the trick is of course to not let it boil too much so that the flavor is still, still there and, um, and, and like with most Indians I'm sure you're aware we love to spice everything up right so mm-hmm. uh, what we do is we add ginger sometimes or we add uh, and, and sometimes if we add cardamom this really lovely um, adds a really lovely flavor to to the chai and um, yeah that's my typical uh, drink when i get back home <laughs> Sounds lovely. I I haven't had a lot of uh, luck with spices in tea, but I'm going to try chai really soon. Should I just buy, is there such a thing as plain chai or does it come with spices with it, in it already in the mix? Um, Gayatri, what should I look for? You do you do get uh, the ones with the mix, but if you go to an Indian store, you could probably find something called chai masala, which which is a packet of, of spices that you you could add to your tea. And then you would, you know, use a, black, a regular black tea, uh, like I mentioned, the Assam variety or the Darjeeling. And then when you're boiling the water and the, and the tea leaves or the tea powder, you just add one half a spoon of the tea masala, chai masala, and you, that's it. Or if you feel uh, really bold, then you just, you know, grate some ginger into it. That, that'll work as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm waiting to hear what Ira Burke, the sponsor of the show at SAP, I know he's busy. He wrote to me. and Oh, here it is. We've got it. He's drinking a half-calf plain coffee Sumatra. He says, I have to go buy more, but it's raining here in New York. Yes, Ira, it's raining here in New York. I know you're listening, but we'll get you an umbrella, and you can go to the store and get more 
Coffee. That's fine. We'll do that. What do you think, gang? Should we chip in and get Ira an umbrella? I'm only teasing. I don't think his hair will get messed up. Anyway, we are here live on Internet of Things with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, but Stephanie Guillermo and Gatry don't tell anybody. I had a cup of espresso about an hour and a half ago, just a little tiny bit with a little 1% milk in it. I kind of warmed it up after it came out because the milk made it cold, and it was delicious. But now I'm following the rules. I'm having a cup of of cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a cool, clear straw. I should have a straw that's a little bit blue and sad because it's raining, but you know what? We really needed the rain here in New York. It's been a very, very hot summer, but it's September 1st. Unofficially, fall is here, so maybe we're just the rain is crying because summer is unofficially over, but I digress. We're talking today about a very, very, very important topic, health care and the Internet of Things. Life-saving gets smart. How smart? We'll find out a lot more when we come back with Stephanie Huber at Deloitte, Guillermo Vasquez at Deloitte, and Gayatri Gopal at SAP. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. We are back. You're listening to IoT with Game Changer, shorthand for Internet of Things, our very important topic, healthcare and the IoT life-saving gets smart. We're speaking today with Stephanie Huber at Deloitte, Guillermo Vasquez at Deloitte, and Gayatri Gopal at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And we're going to start the roundtable in earnest, although when we introduced the quotes, we really did do a fairly deep dive, a quick one into the topic. We're going to start off with Stephanie Huber at Deloitte. And Stephanie has sent me some very interesting information about the collection and storage of huge amounts, gajunda amounts of data on genes, proteins, and small molecules. But she said before she dives into that, she'd like to start the roundtable talking about the availability of connected devices. If you and our listening audience think, wow, you have to be rich, or you have to be in a big city, or you have to have the right doctors, or you have to go to a, a, a tier one uh, research hospital to get this stuff, or you got to go find a doctor who's only available on the internet, Stephanie says that's not true. So Stephanie, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the availability, the prevalence and presence of these new connected healthcare devices, and then give us a little bit about the data. Okay, Stephanie? 
Absolutely. Thanks, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. So as Bonnie mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of mystique out there when we talk about connected devices. People instantly think of kind of smart cities, smart warehouses, and um, things like that. You know, how, do, how can I automate restocking processes? Very sophisticated kind of large-scale enterprise technology solutions. But really, these connected devices are becoming more and more readily available and very, very inexpensive. And probably one of the most popular ones, and anybody who's kind of um, following the IoT trend, is the Raspberry Pi 2. It's about 30 bucks, $35, and it's a credit card size um, computer, which you can configure input and output adapters to connect with many devices. I mean, it's open source. So something that uh, we want to just talk about is it's, it's out there. These so when, before we talk about the data, there's hospitals that are actually collecting IoT data. They have connected devices. They just don't have a mechanism to store it. One of the clients that I was on, they were, they were taking connected, um, or connected device data and burning it to a disk and putting it in a box, and it sat in a closet collecting dust somewhere. So it wasn't, it wasn't the ability to produce the data. It was the ability to aggregate it, synthesize it, normalize it, and then on top of that, just from a storage perspective, to process it, to analyze it. How am I going to make sense of all this? How can I um, see trends? Or, you know, how does, this, how does this help me make a better decision for my patient who has these, um, you know, these conditions? In the past, what's been effective, what hasn't been effective? More kind of guided healthcare versus, you know, a quarterly review that you get that's outdated and, um, you know, who knows if it had all the information. So this connected devices, they're available, they're in use, and now, finally, from a technology standpoint, there's huge big data platforms. Everybody's heard of, um, or anybody in the technology space, there's Hadoop, and Spark, and Microsoft has one, Azure. Um, all the companies are coming up with these large data platforms. So now we can actually use that data. It doesn't have to sit on a disk somewhere in a closet. And so that's kind of what's exciting, how readily available it is now. Stephanie, uh, you're fading a little bit on your phone, but I want to interject here. I, I think we can hear you okay. I want to interject. I've looked up Raspberry Pi because this is completely new to me. I saw that it's available for uh, introductory price this year. February was about $35 U.S. You're right on the mark for that. Let me just read a little bit for those of our listeners who are not familiar, as I am not familiar. The Raspberry Pi and its P.I., we all know that's one of those symbols, is a series of credit card-sized single-board computers developed in the U.K. by the Raspberry Pi Foundation to promote the teaching of basic computer science in schools and developing countries. Uh, the Raspberry Pi and Raspberry Pi number 2 are manufactured in several configurations, blah, blah, blah. The hardware is the same across all manufacturers, and that's what I've got here. So very, very interesting, Stephanie. By the way, uh, they announced they had sold 8 million devices, making it the best-selling U.K. personal computer ahead of the Amstrad PC. CW. Okay, very, very interesting. Yes. Okay, Stephanie, so give us a little bit about the data collection part that you want to talk about, just briefly. And then I want to bring Guillermo and Gayatri into the conversation to talk about the prevalence and availability and affordability of these devices, as well as what you're going to talk about genomic data. So, Stephanie, let's go to our next topic. Yeah. So, as we talk about large volumes of data, genomic data, data on genes, on proteins, on small molecules, we're talking petabytes of data, not terabytes, petabytes of data. And so, and as we get more and more information for 
um, for one specific human being, um, all of their genomic data could be almost a terabyte of data. It, it depends on, um, on how much information you want to gather. But, and all of that doubles, you know, it can double within a year. So we're talking the sizing of this needs to be huge. It needs to scale properly. So um, just the volume of data is just incredible. And a lot of these research institutions, like that one that you mentioned earlier, the European Biometrics Institute in UK, Mm -hmm. they currently have 20 petabytes of data just of the of the um, patients within that area. So if we were talking from a global standpoint, aggregating all of this, um, it's, it's massive. Thank you very much, Stephanie. I want to make sure we get time for Guillermo and Gayatri to chime in. Guillermo, any information you'd like to share about this collection of data, which is fabulous for people who are trying to do research and understand what the needs are around the world or and or the Raspberry Pi? Guillermo? Yeah, well, you know, I, I will agree totally with um, Stephanie on this one, and specifically on the Raspberry. I think it's a very good topic that Stephanie brings to the table. Um, I was following a group of kids in in India, and they make a research about the Raspberry, and they turn a Raspberry 30 box, as you mentioned, uh, Bonnie, into an electrocardiogram machine. Mm. Okay, so what their target was to bring, you know, this technology to remote communities, and if they can be able to access the Internet, then these communities will be able to have services, right? But uh, the this, uh, clock doesn't stop there, right? So the important thing was, like, um, we were starting to explore how to bring that data into a cloud environment, and then guess what? Bring it into uh, development countries, right, the U.S. or Europe or so on, where doctors are volunteering their time and maybe doing some diagnostics from their comfort of their hospitals or their houses or whatever they want to do this uh, volunteering and help other people in the other side of the world uh, giving these high-level diagnostics in, uh, and guide them into the right direction. So it's fascinating what is happening happening, right? I mean, uh, really, it's an inexpensive uh, proposition. And if we all put our uh, two cents on this, we, will, we can make great things. And that's where, you know, I'm really, really getting into this industry. Um, I came from all diverse industries that I have been serving during my years uh, in the profession. But here, what I'm finding is that it is all about care and love. And I, and I really like the industry. Did you mention care and love? Did you actually put those words into this conversation about the ice cold, hard nose IoT world, Guillermo? Seriously, <laughs> I'm I'm teasing you. I'm yes. trying to say no, thank yes. you. You. No, no, no. I I, I agree, buddy. But you know what? We are, you know, like in the computer science world, information technology world. I know. We we cannot associate most of these words, but in this industry and what is happening with the technology, that is the goal, right? I mean, and finally, you can see uh, care and love that uh, any of your designs or any of your propositions at the end will help one or hundreds of thousands of people, right? And that's fascinating for me. I mean, I'm 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 very much in that. So yeah. I uh, was I was trying to say thank you. <laughs> I did it in a very sarcastic way, but I was trying to say thank you for introducing not just care, but Guillermo, I think what you and Stephanie, and we're going to speak with Gatry in a second, what you're trying to say is there is care, there has to be caring and love on somebody's part in order to want to make this happen, making this impossible change. Stephanie talked about with the opening quote from Nelson Mandela, who certainly did care and wanted to make things better. I'm, I'm almost in tears when you mentioned care and love, Guillermo. You 
you stopped me completely cold in my tracks. I have a data processing, uh, programming background as well. And back in the day of key punch cards and, and, uh, yes, it's, that's how far back I go. And, and Xerox Sigma 6 CP5s and IBM 4341s and programming and COBOL and PL1 and assembly language. And it was just big cold and we were just putting data in. And now you've had the audacity to introduce the idea of technology and caring and love. I thank you, Guillermo. You just humanized everything we're talking about. Thank you so much. Gayatri, before I get to emotional, let's get you in on this. The Raspberry Pi, the collecting of genomic data. What are your thoughts, please? Okay, so uh, I'd like to take a, a slightly different point of view here and, and, and move over to the pharmaceutical industry and, and talk about personalized medicine. And and then, then that's where, uh, you know, all the advancements in genomic research and uh, the very fact that the cost of sequencing human genome has dropped tremendously, right? So it's come down to about approximately $1,000 uh, to sequence a whole genome. And, and, and we have companies like Veritas, Genetics, offering such services. So uh, given that um, and, and given, you know, um, uh, what's happening in, in drug development with targeted therapies and personalized medicine, we're looking at you know, medications in oncology and other chronic diseases that are getting that are very they're very specific now. So they are they're trying to address niche subpopulations and 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 rare diseases and that have some sort of a, a genomic biomarker. So you have all these um, additional data points. And um, if I had to bring uh, what's happening with the regulatory bodies and and uh, providing fast track and accelerated approvals to. Um, uh, uh, this uh, gene, uh, oncology uh, and genomic-led oncology uh, trials, uh, there is this really big need, you know, by from the FDA as well as the European Medicines Agency to have and provide additional data on the value of such therapy in a real-world setting and how does it actually benefit patients. And uh, another real barrier to uptake of such uh, personalized medicine as well is, is the fact that um, you need to prove value uh, to the payers, to the insurance companies. And, and here's where we've got IoT and sensor-based IoT devices for chronic disease management. So Guillermo mentioned one, um, you know, big application, which is in remote diagnostics. So I'd like to talk about chronic disease management, and, and this is where uh, the sensor-based devices provide uh, a plethora of real-world evidence and a lot of data to mine, and, and, and it's extremely important to be able to aggregate these different sources of data, whether it's lifestyle data or genomics data, and be able to provide some meaningful insights. Thank you. And meaningful insights, the word meaningful, I think, was really the crux of your last set of comments there, Gayatri. Thank you for expanding this to pharma as well as to uh, insurance as well. Thank you. Stephanie, I'm going to give you just one minute to wrap up this topic. We've certainly been all over the map, literally and figuratively, in this part of the discussion, and I like that because you all three are here as thought leaders, and that's exactly what you're doing and what you're bringing to the table. So, Stephanie, you want to wrap that up a little bit about the collection of data? I think we've done enough about the Raspberry, but... Let's talk about the collection of data. Yeah, so that so she just brought up the pharmaceutical industry. One mm-hmm. of the biggest use cases of IoT, uh, it enables uh, pharmaceutical industries to control and monitor freezer conditions, storing expensive kind of vaccines and medicines. So it really it allows not only doctors but pharmaceutical companies to kind of focus on 
what we're really here to do, deliver the best health care and not kind of the tasks of running our business, having somebody monitor these things. It really enables us, this technology enables us um, by automating processes that used to be manual so that way we can focus and move forward and actually make progress with health care. Thank you very, very much, Stephanie and Guillermo. I'm looking at your notes here. We have such interesting topics here from all three of you. But something that caught my attention, and you know where I'm going with this, Guillermo, you talk about the Uber, U-B-E-R concept in the healthcare industry. And you say IoT to robots, 3D printers are cutting manufacturing cycles and delivery costs in specialized medical devices products. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the Uber concept for healthcare? I think everybody will find it fascinating. Guillermo, go ahead, please. Yes, Bonnie. So um, one of our research, right, is uh, pretty much uh, aligning our clients into what is going to be the future platforms that they will be investing. And in that direction, we need to think a little bit ahead, right? So what we're finding is that uh, the IoT industry, just not on the sensors devising, but also now moving into further a little bit into robots, right? And, you know, please don't imagine a robot like this Terminator <laughs> chasing you, but it's really any device that can make, <laughs> that can make any... Uh, he, he sings, any he sings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, so uh, we can say, you know, the uh, uh, sensors all the way to a robot that is working, the 3D printers concept. So we were uh, exploring this in, in the healthcare industry for example, right, uh, in the medical devices industries where they now they can potentially do the what we call the Uber concept, meaning they can bring a 3D printer in one of their hospitals, right, and serve their doctors and patients directly and remotely, right, uh, create one specific medical device that is urgently needed uh, hours or even minutes before uh, a surgery and operation, and then they will uh, allow to give a better service to the patients, right? And what what is going to happen then is that they will be able to cut timelines of uh, delivery, they will be able to cut some manufacturing cost of delivering, and they will be closer to, to their customers. So uh, we are starting to explore that, and we are the tendency, the technology tendency that we are looking at this time is that the robotics and the uh, sensoring data is moving really faster than we were expecting. So we are uh, opening the, the mindsets of our chief executives to tell them, look, this is coming faster than you know. Start preparing for it because the first that you go is the first ones that are going to conquer the market. And most importantly, you will be able to serve better, better, sorry, your, your patients. That is ultimately the, the goal that we have all in mind. Does that make sense, Bonnie? It, it absolutely does. I'm, I'm glad you got into that. And that goes back to your comments about caring and love is how, what can we do to take these innovations and apply them to where they're really the most needed? Let's get Gayatri's point of view on this. Gayatri, why don't you chime in for about a minute and a half and then we'll get Stephanie to talk about it and then we'll have Guillermo wrap up this topic. Go ahead, Gayatri. Yeah, yeah, and and so Guillermo mentioned uh, what what Guillermo mentioned is is really true and valid about the speed at which uh, technology and, and innovations advancing, and this this real digital disruption, so to say, in healthcare um, has has a, has a real impact on patient outcomes, right? Because what we are doing now is being able to put uh, digital technologies in the hands of uh, everybody and every stakeholder in the healthcare continuum, especially pro, uh, healthcare providers and patients. Uh, 
And and what this does is it really uh, breaks down um, not only data silos, but uh, it it's also being able to empower patients. And so you're, you're increasing transparency in the system. You know, your patients are more engaged in their health, and which obviously influences behavior. And uh, ultimately, this leads to better patient outcomes. And one key outcome is, of course, medication adherence and, and, and following all the, 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 the um, advice provided by the doctor or your virtual coach, for that matter, in your mobile app. And ultimately, um, the biggest benefactor is, is, is the entire healthcare system with, with lower costs. Thank you. Lower costs, we have to get that into the conversation, too. Stephanie Huber, love to get your thoughts on all of this. Yeah, absolutely. So as she mentioned, or as we're talking about Uber, which is an application and kind of the digital destruction and, and putting this and then um, the patients kind of taking more ownership of their own health care that they receive. So having, um, first of all, having like an app or some type of connected device where you can kind of see call-to-action scenarios. So with data, we can say there's HEDIS. There's actually an organization that says, you know, if you're a diabetic patient or a hypertensive patient, you need, you know, two hemoglobin A1C exams annually, for instance. And so with this data, you can see patients that are out of compliance and do more proactive kind of health care. And then you can even, you know, and reach out to somebody through a connected device and say, hey, have you been adherent? Have you been, um, you need, you're due for your hemoglobin A1C exam or your vital shows you're low. Maybe we need to adjust um, your medication, what have you. So having these connected devices that are readily available, it allows the client or the patient rather to kind of see where they're at and it they can communicate more readily to their healthcare provider, and their healthcare provider can be more proactive in delivering all of this healthcare. That that really goes down to the core of it, doesn't it, uh, Stephanie and, and Guillermo and Giatri? The healthcare provider needing to be more proactive. So many people are dependent on, I won't say the same old, I'll just say their same physician years and years, especially seniors, especially baby boomers. I guess we are seniors now. Sorry about that. Uh, yes, yeah, so admitting a little bit of truth here. I call myself the junior senior in my family because my mom's going to be 100 in a couple of months. So the wow. idea that a healthcare, yeah, and she's in great health and still lives alone and refuses any help because she just does everything by herself. What can I tell you? No miracle there. She just lived her life and did probably the right things and and there were no connected devices and no monitoring and she goes to her doctors on time and if I can't take her she takes a cab it's just we did sell the car though we did sell her car finally at 99 and not the car her anyway um, the idea of yes where was I going with this Stephanie proactive doctors that's really a big part of it isn't it let's just quickly go around the table if the doctors aren't proactive and the patients are not, shall we say, digitally astute or aware or part of the online civilization, the culture, the society that the four of us know so much about. How do they get, how do they get this? Is it from their children? Is it from reading about it in a magazine, perhaps in a doctor's office and saying, Hey, Dr. Smith, what about this for me? Does the patient have to be the one who's proactive? Stephanie, since you mentioned it, why don't you just give me a, a two sentence answer? Is it the role of the doctor? the patient or everybody in between to bring these life-saving device opportunities to the patients? Whose job is it? I'll say it's both. It's um, everybody has to take ownership of their, um, a, a patient needs to take ownership of their health care, but the enabler, like we said, um, is the predictive, it's kind of predictive analytics. So with all this data, a doctor can say, okay, I've gathered all this information from my patient. 
the patient needs to provide that information. And then it's the doctor's responsibility to say, you know, based on this, we can kind of tweak um, your dosage here. Or we can um, kind of maybe you should introduce this into your lifestyle. We'll see how that goes because we've seen a a really great improvement um, in patients who have done this. So I would say it's both, and the enabler of it is technology. I like that. Guillermo Vasquez, what do you think about this? Um, I think, uh, Bonnie, that is a responsibility of the ecosystem in the healthcare to bring this into uh, the doctors and the patients at the end, right? Because um, the doctor should be concentrated only thinking in the decisions that he's going to make with his patient and forget about everything else. And the patient should be just concerned to be better and healthy, right? But it's about the ecosystem, the ecosystem that we need to make sure that uh, our industry is moving in the right platforms, in the right security, transfer of data, uh, there are some uh, documents there and some experiences that people start doing the censoring data, and, and it appears we call it the boogeyman man in the middle, stealing the data or playing with the data that is uh, being transmitted. So we need to make it safer. We need to make it uh, faster. We need to make it as an ecosystem, uh, all this environment where our doctors just come, they are reliable, they use the technology, and our patients feel better. I, I think right now it's a... It's a huge commitment that we need to uh, have from uh, uh, our service service providers in this industry to help everybody um, enhance and uh, put their hands around around it. Right. In my simple view, is that for doctors and patients should be as easy to walk in the in the hospital or in the uh, doctor's room, turn on the light, and that's it. They never ask where the lights comes from or anything. Right. And, and that's our job, make those sensors, make those predictive analytics that Stephanie refers available, easy, safe to use for everyone. Thank you. Very, very thoughtful response. I appreciate that, Guillermo. I, I sense the love and the caring in that remark as well. Thank you very much. I like the idea of the ecosystem in the sense that we're all responsible for each other and doing it together. Uh, Gayatri Gopal, talk to us. What are your thoughts about the question I just asked? Please. Um, yeah, I would have, I would, I would agree with what uh, Stephanie and and Guillermo mentioned. But but if you think about it, uh, and how the system's been evolving, and who uh, uh, has been sort of the custodian of health information, as well as who is the customer of uh, or the, uh, the the individual or the entity that takes um, responsible for these healthcare decisions. So it's kind of evolved from physicians to the insurance companies that. Influence healthcare decisions, and now the entire in, uh, industry is, is is on a patient-centric approach. So everything is about value-based care. It's about you know um, uh, pay for performance, and and less and and, and it's not about the fees uh, uh, anymore. So in in that context, um, it, it I believe you know with technology and digital technologies, IoT and sensors really enable patients to be more involved. And um, and and it kind of connects every, every individual, every entity in this healthcare uh, system uh, in a more meaningful way. So it's, it's a more data-driven conversation now. And uh, yeah. 
Thank you, Gatry. Appreciate that. I'm I'm looking at your notes here, Gatry. I want to get to something before we go to our crystal ball predictions round in about three minutes. Let's talk about. I'm going to ask you for some of your favorite connected devices. Ingestible. I talked about the smart pill, smart hospital bed. Can you enlighten us a little bit about contactless sensors that can sense odors, electron electromagnetic activity? Uh, some of the devices that you're aware that are available that our listeners would probably really like to know about, Gayatri. Yeah, so um, in terms of, you know, IoT devices for uh, healthcare, so the applications are, you know, typically wellness or in, you know, smart diagnostics and, and, and as well as you've mentioned, uh, you know, biomonitoring drugs, which are just ingestible um, pills. But then we, we also have, uh, you know, really amazing uh, advancements in, in flexible bioelectronics and as well as, uh, you know, companies like Scanadu Vitals, which, which measures different physiological parameters. And there's this company called Clinicloud, which has contactless thermometers for little kids to measure uh, the temperature. And, uh, and if you see how the, how the pharmaceutical industry has also been um, uh, involved in, 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 you know, the digital health spaces, so we've got Novartis, which has partnered with Microsoft to mm-hmm. use Connect uh, uh, for multiple sclerosis patients. So it's, it's really fascinating that, you know, how the space is, uh, space is evolving from your traditional activity trackers, which is more commodity, uh, and now to something as advanced as uh, uh, electronic tattoos, you know, to measure blood glucose measurements. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Very interesting. It's a fascinating field. I would suggest to our listeners, just Google connected devices, digital health. Uh, just find out what you can. You may have to be part of that ecosystem, as Guillermo said, and also echoed by, echoed by Gayatri and by Stephanie, that it's, it's everybody's responsibility. But if you're aware, you can help your doctor and your hospital become more proactive for you and your loved ones. Now it's time for our predictions roundtable part of the show called the Crystal Ball. Let's look into the future. And we have a lot of time. We actually have almost a minute and a half for each of you. Oh, my goodness, Stephanie. I don't think we ever gave you that much time for predictions. So, Stephanie Uber at Deloitte, love to have you look into the future. You know I still love the year 2020. I can't get Barbara Walters out of my head. 2020. But you can pick any time in the future you like or love. What do you think is going to change? Will it be the devices? Will it be the awareness? Will it be the collection of data? Will it be the smart application of that knowledge into useful ways to help help prevent and to help treat and to help avoid crises and become more life-saving. So Stephanie Huber at Deloitte, what are you looking at into the future? How far out and what do you see? I'll give you a full 90 seconds. Go. So I definitely agree with what uh, was just said, that we are kind of evolving more to a value-based billing or pay for performance, as she said, as doctors will get compensated with when their patients improve. And so that's going to, I mean, we are a capitalistic uh, world and society that, that these connected devices give us that information. We're incentivized. And, of course, I, as Guillermo said, we have love in our heart and we always, you know, we want to see everybody do well and improve. So I think the prediction is that we will, if not in our lifetime, find or get extremely close to finding the cure um, for something as, that's torn apart so many lives like like cancer. Thank you very much. By the way, there was a very sad passing overnight. There was a very famous labradoodle named Bacher. 
B-O-C-K-E-R, based here in New York, who did a lot of charity work. And he fought canine cancer, believe it or not, Stephanie. He fought it valiantly. And his, his mom, Marie, has documented his entire journey on Facebook with pictures of him going through the chemo, going through the treatments over the years. And he passed away last night, age 13. Mm. Bocker the Labradoodle, and I can imagine Thousie was known. He even had his own Bocker doll, a stuffed animal. And they were on one of my radio, my personal radio shows years ago with Bocker barking in the background and Marie talking about animals. And it was a lovely visit, and we were shouting out, Hello, Bocker, we hear you. And they sent me his stuffed animal. Anyway, Bocker lost his battle with cancer last night. And um, you never think of it. You'd never think of it, but a lot of people said, how could you put him through it? And the answer was, he's lovable, he's sweet, he can do it. They babied him. They took every imaginable step to make him comfortable, and he conquered it. And now, what can I tell you? So anyway, a little bit of sadness there. Ah, but let's elevate the mood here, Guillermo. Let's look into the future. What do you predict? 60 seconds, go. Thank you. Well, I have two one, two predictions. One is the, in the midterm, and what I, I am observing in the industry is that is we're moving out of the concept of the big data, and the big data concept is transforming very fast into the data fabric. So let me explain that very quick. The data fabric will be uh, the mm-hmm. intelligent insights based on the data that you have, and in order to do that, you will need faster, reliable speed processes to get that. So the intelligent and the knowledge that you need, it will be done on the fly once that you ingest, ingest the data into your systems. And from there, connected into uh, transactions that will be executed semi-automatically with this intelligent world. So that's in the midterm, uh, uh, mid-term advance. In the, in the long term, what I'm uh, looking for is um, having this ecosystem and this environment where uh, the patient will be really talking about their heart attack that will happen in one year rather than what happened yesterday, right? They will be able to uh, sit down with their doctors and the doctors call them and say, look, based on your behavior and all the signals that we have been receiving you in the last 18 months, your prediction is that if you don't do A, B, C, you will be in a heart attack in one year. So that is the, the change. I see the doctors more concentrated in real diagnostics supported by knowledge and uh, speed of, of thought that their systems will be providing. And I see the healthcare uh, insurance providers, particularly here in the United States, analyzing deeper uh, with these new da- data fabrics and uh, large volumes, not only in the insights from the patients, but also uh, in the commercial side, uh, performing and doing better uh, analysis for the healthcare and reducing the cost. That's what I see in the long term, Bonnie. Thank you very much, Guillermo. And now let's turn to Gayatri Gopal. Gayatri, I can give you a full 60 seconds for your predictions. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so um, so I think we are, we are right now in the process of trying to figure out uh, how do you know uh, incorporate all these devices and and, and technology and um, into our lives and 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 really make sense of all of the information flows and 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 once we are able to sort out all these challenges and I believe they will, especially with regard to uh, a data integration and security and privacy and, and uh, reimbursement. Um, 
and as well as regulatory hurdles. Uh, I believe that, you know, given the advancements in, in, in nanosensors and diagnostics and preventive medicine, I strongly believe that in a 10-year time frame, uh, smart and connected devices and medical devices become less and less intrusive, so there'll be miniaturization of these sensors, and they'll become a lot more intelligent. So they, they will become the standard. Thank you very much to the three of you, Stephanie Huber, Guillermo Vasquez, and Gayatri Gopal. And I want to do a shout-out to all of the people who've been liking and retweeting the tweets I've been putting out, and, and Ira Burke has been tweeting, and Binary Loom has been tweeting here, whoever that is, shout-out to you. I just want to mention that Emergency Medical Care New York, and the handle is EMC underscore NY, is aware of this show today, and even they retweeted one of our tweets. So we do reach a lot of people with these shows, and I want to thank all of you. Thank Thank you to my three thought leaders. You were wonderful. Great insights. Way more than we can cover in an hour. So, Ira Burke, you might have to uh, do a part two of this one. I would like that very much. And thank you to Ira for putting together this wonderful, very, very smart panel. Guillermo and Gayatri, hope you enjoyed yourself. Stephanie, hope you'll come back soon. And shout out to you and your other colleagues at Deloitte. We always love having Deloitte on Game Changers Radio. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Is it a smart seatbelt? I don't know. Mine is it yet, but it's smart enough to hook up and protect me so let's see if it talks to me one of these days let's see if it talks to me about my health from what it can tell by being up against me what are you waiting for fasten that seatbelt. go out and be a game changer today talk to you soon bye bye thanks again for tuning in to internet of things with game changers presented by sap the best run businesses run sap To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.